Good morning. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having been put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For... Through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built up upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are being built together into the dwelling of God in the spirit." It was back in 1938 that Sir Chamberlain, Prime Minister of England, went to Germany and he came back from that trip having met with Hitler and he made this so-called prophetic announcement, peace in our time, peace with honor. It was little more than a year later when the hopes of peace were dashed and World War II began. I I can't help but think of that as I think of our our president meeting with the uh, leader of of North Korea. I wonder how many promises are going to be made and how many of them are going to be broken. Uh, I I hope we're not trusting in that process to bring true peace into the world. Peace can be elusive, as Sir Chamberlain found out. It's elusive in many homes, just this... Last week we were in the restaurant here in uh, at the, the Mexican restaurant, and we about walked out or changed booths because there was a couple behind us that spent the whole time arguing, tearing one another apart, swearing at one another. And I wonder why in the world did you even go to a restaurant? You do that at home. <laughs> it's, uh, why waste your money in a restaurant if you're not even going to enjoy the meal together? But I, as we came away from that, I thought there is one marriage that probably won't last very long. It can be a lack of peace in our homes. We've experienced it in the work world. At times, we even experience it in the, experience it in the church if we're not careful. We, we can be at odds with, with one another. How is it possible for us to have peace? today. We looked last week at the problems of mankind. We started out with the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were separated from God. We were uh, under the sentence of judgment there. But then he came down to verse 4 with that little word, but. But. 
but God. God stepped in and did what we could not do. He brought salvation to us. And yet, even though we are made right with God, even though by grace we have been saved, even though we've experienced a measure of the grace of God, yet we still live in an imperfect world. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In me you shall have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. You experienced any of that recently? Some trials, some tribulation. He goes on to say, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And Paul has that, I think, in the back of his mind as we start verse 11 here. The first principle that we see here is the fact that sin separates. He begins by saying it separates people from people here. In, in his context, it separated the Jews from the Gentiles. The Jews looked at themselves as a special people of God. They wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles, and the Gentiles looked down on the the Jews, and it was just not a very good sight. John Stott, in writing about that, said that the Jew had an immense contempt, contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God said... God, they said, loves only Israel of all nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her sorest hour of need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that boy or girl was carried out immediately. It was the equivalent of a death sentence. That's how much the two groups were separated. There there was no reconciliation as far as the average person was concerned. The problem, though, as Paul recalls that for them, it was the problem between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. But notice he said the circumcision was that which was made by human hands. It didn't touch the heart. And so... Both groups had to wrestle with this in question. Both groups had their own sense of pride, of prejudice, and both were separated from one another there. And still today, sin separates. It separates families. Have you ever seen families torn apart because of the inheritance? Uh, Comes time to settle the will, and guess what? Somebody gets what I think I should have. And so we're not going to talk to them anymore. We're we're not going to have anything more to do with them. And and many families have been broken apart over simple things like like that. It separates people from people, but more than that, it separates people from God. And he mentions here the Gentiles, those that were outside of the family of God. And notice he says five things about them before Christ came into their lives. It says they were without Christ. They were religious. They The Gentiles had their religion. I don't care what part of the world you go to today. You will find some form of religion. It it may not seem like our form, but it it will be there. In in John chapter 14, though, verse 6, Jesus said, No one comes to the Father but by me. And so they were religious, but they were lost. They, They were without Christ. And without Christ, they had no hope of eternal life there. They were also, he said, without citizenship or the rights of that citizenship. Uh, The Roman government had some tremendous privileges for their citizens. 
If you weren't a citizen, you didn't enjoy those privileges. Uh, you, you recall the story of the Apostle Paul when he was arrested in, in Jerusalem. They were about to beat him. They, they were going to get the truth out of him by torture. And uh, as they were tying him to the rack there, you, you recall what he said? He said, is it lawful to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? And suddenly they were afraid because here was a Roman citizen and they were mistreating him. They they were violating the, the conditions of citizenship. And they suddenly re- released him from from that, that beating at that point in time. The average person didn't have that freedom. It, it, if you weren't a citizen and you came to that situation, they would have gone ahead with the beating and, and maybe even put you to death there. They were without covenant as well. Or as that word can also be translated they were without promise they had no hope of eternal life they had no hope of god coming into their life and changing their life and and giving them a glorious future there they did not have that covenant relationship and that leads to the fourth one without hope there and don't we see that today as we look at our society so many people are troubled so many people just have no hope Uh, look at the suicide rate Look at how many people are involved in the drug culture and so forth, drug abuse and the violence that is out there. And then we have the assistant euthanasia and so forth. Why? Because people have no hope, nothing to live for, nothing to go on for. They're without hope in this world. And the basis for that is the fifth one there. They are without God. Uh, They may be moral. They may be upright. But at the same time, they may be at war with God himself. That problem started back in the Garden of Eden when they chose to reject God as king, as lord of their lives. They chose to eat of the fruit. They brought themselves or they separated themselves from God. But aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? Aren't you glad he goes on here to speak of the fact not only does sin separate, but beginning in verse 13, Christ reconciles. Christ is able to bring us back into a relationship with God. And again, he starts there with that little word, but. Uh, If you're into underlining, that would be a good word to underline in this uh, uh, epistle there. He he, he loves that little word, but. I'm personally not into underlining, so you're not going to find it underlined in my Bible. But I know some of you love to mark your Bibles up like that. And uh, I, I just hate it when I loan a book to somebody and they... They underline things. <laughs> Just ruins the book. You might as well throw it away and buy another one. <laughs> uh, but if you're into underlining, that, that's a good little word to underline here. But how many times should we thank the Lord for that little word, but? But God. We were brought near in, in verse 13 through Jesus Christ. He uses an interesting word there, brought near. It literally means we were brought together again. It was used to describe what happens to a couple when they separate and uh, they go into counseling and, and they are brought back together again and that marriage is restored. That, that, that's the word that he uses here. And, and if you've ever been involved in a counseling situation where they come in and they are totally at odds with one another and, and arguing and fighting and, and he did this and she did that and on and on it goes. And, and you work through that process with them and they come to the time where they want to renew their commitment to one another. That's a tremendous experience. And uh, that's the idea that he has in mind here. It also, also was used of uh, a runaway, uh, a child maybe that would run away from home. 
And uh, like the prodigal son, you get out in the world and you find out it's not all that you envisioned it to be. Uh, there's dangers out there in the world. You, like the prodigal son wound up in the pig pen. And he said, you know what? I had it, the servants in my father's house had it better than I have it here. He said, I'll go home and, and present myself as a servant there in, in my father's household. He came back, and what happened? He was brought near. He was brought back into a right relationship with his father. And that's what happens to us when we accept Jesus Christ. Love found a way for us to be reconciled with God, to be brought back into a right relationship with himself. Now, notice that was made possible in verse 13 through what? The blood of Jesus Christ. Love found a way. God or or Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We couldn't pay the price of our sin. We we couldn't uh, demand to be reconciled with God. God had to take the initiative there. Uh, Just a simple illustration. If uh, you were in need and you came to me and asked if you could borrow $1,000 to meet that need, Good luck. <laughs> Probably not going to happen. But if I was in a good mood and I had an extra $1,000 and I said, yes, you can have the $1,000, and we set up a payment, how you were going to repay it and so forth, and, and that time came for you to repay it, and you came to me and said, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't repay it. I just don't have the resources. I have a choice in that moment. I can demand it. I can say I'm going to take you to court. I could do all kinds of things, or I can say... I forgive you. I could forgive that debt. If I choose to forgive the debt, we can be reconciled. We, we can be brought back into a right relationship again. We can have fellowship again with one another. But if I make that choice, guess who pays the price? I would. The person that is doing the forgiving is the one that pays the price. God forgave us because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. Forgiveness always costs. It doesn't necessarily cost the person that's asking forgiveness, uh, unless it's a blow to their pride, but it, it costs the one that is doing the forgiveness. And so in this case, God made the first move. God paid the price. He sent his son to the cross so that we could have eternal life. That made possible for us peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The relationship could be restored. That that interpersonal relationship with God could be brought together again. Not only with God, but as, as you read the passage here, those that were at odds with themselves, the Jews and the Gentiles in verse 17, were also brought together. In Christ, they became, in a sense, one there. It was possible as each of them recognized in verse 18 that they both had access through the Spirit to the Father. And so they could be at peace with one another. And that leads to the third truth in this passage, and that is the fact that God is the one who unifies. I like verse 19 there. So then you were... You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God. You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer alienated from God. You have become a fellow citizen through the power of Christ. And that was his great prayer in John chapter 17. We we often look at the plaque in the back there and 
say the Lord's Prayer together. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the prayer he, he, he encouraged his disciples to pray. The Lord's Prayer is found in John chapter 17, where, where he intercedes not only for his disciples there, but for us. And his great desire there was that they may be one as he was one with his Father in glory. And so he seeks to unify us together. Uh, the, he gives us three pic- pictures here that illustrates his, his, what he wants to do in us. He wants to make us, he said, one nation. The, the word he uses in verse 19 is fellow citizens with the saints now. We're one with the saints. We had the privilege of living as aliens in Canada for about 16 years, I guess. And um, we, we were always mindful of the fact that we did not quite fit in. We thoroughly enjoyed our time there. We enjoyed the people that were there. We had an opportunity to minister there. But we were not citizens. Uh, matter of fact, even toward the end of our time there, we thought, well, we're pretty much acclimated to Canadian society, and, and we fit right in. And, and then somebody said, you're an American, aren't you? Very simple slip of the tongue. Uh, we were discussing with, with a family, our kids together, and we made the mistake of saying they're in the first grade or the third grade. And they said, we don't say that in Canada. They say grade one or grade three or whatever. They don't say first grade or second grade. Or, and, and so a simple little thing, uh, slip of the tongue in a sense for us. And we were reminded of the fact that we were aliens. We were strangers there. We, we were living in a foreign country. But praise the Lord in Christ Heaven now is our home. We're citizens of heaven. We've been brought into the family of God. We've been brought into the nation, so to speak. There's no class distinction there any longer. We're all equal at the cross. And praise the Lord for that fact that we have been made one nation in God. He goes on to say we have also been made one family. It gets a little closer to home there. Uh, You ever notice... You have the opportunity to choose your friends. You're stuck with your family. <laughs> you, you, you can try and disown them if, if you want, but they're, they're still your family members. And yet, as he looks at this as family members, he says, uh, elsewhere he says, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're part of the family. We've been brought into his family. We've been made children of God Sons of God, so to speak, and we are a family today. And as we think about that, can't help but think of John 13 in that connection, in verse 34 and 35. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? By your love, one for another. I think one of the the saddest things in interpersonal relationships is to see families at odds with one another. Who should they love the most? They should love their family. That's, that's where it begins. If, if you don't love your husband or your wife, how can you love the world? How can you demonstrate the, the love of Christ? And Jesus said, it's as you love one another, as you're part of a family, as you demonstrate the reality of that, that the world's going to notice Jesus Christ in you. He's go, they're going to notice something different uh, about you. And so I think the obvious question is, as we think about that, if we're a family, how are we treating one another? 
How are we, how are we dealing with interpersonal relationships within the family? Are, are we criticizing one another? Are we tearing one another apart? Or are we loving one another? Are, are we doing that which Paul described in 1 Corinthians 13? Demonstrating kindness, demonstrating patience. You ever get impatient with your brother or sister? Yeah, we're not quite showing the love of Christ in that, are we? Uh, uh, are we bearing all things? Uh, are we believing the best of our brother and sister? Or, or, or are, are we realizing that because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we are brothers and sisters. We are part of one family, and it's time to live like a family. Time to experience the, the blessings of that family in our life. And then if that's not enough, in the next verse there, he says we're one temple. The foundation, he said, is Jesus Christ. Paul said, I've laid one foundation in 1 Corinthians 3, that is Jesus Christ. Our, our lives are built upon Jesus Christ. Uh, we, along with the, the apostles here, are... Living stones. First uh, Peter chapter two gives us that beautiful picture of that. He says we're being built into a holy temple. Now uh, we don't like to be thought of as stones, do we? Uh, we we have that saying, "Hard as a rock, uh, uh, hard-headed, and so forth." But that's not the picture that he has here for us. Uh, it, when you think of stones, I want you to think of jewels. Uh, uh, how many of you ladies have a some jewels with you today. Uh, men don't wear them quite as much as ladies, but th- those rocks, and that's all they are. They're, they're just chunks of rock, but for some reason they're special to you. You, you, you love to wear those uh, diamonds or rubies or sapphire, what, whatever it is. I don't know one from the other, but uh, we, we, for, for some reason we, we, we like those rocks. Well, that's the idea that he has in mind here when he talks of us as living stones. We have the responsibility, just as a jewel, you, you, you ever notice how a diamond reflects the light? Uh, multifaceted there, you, you get all the colors of the rainbow if you get it just right in the sunlight and so forth. That's what he's saying about us. We're built together, stones put together, so that we can reflect the light of God to our society. In First Peter chapter 2, I, I'm finally getting there. He, he speaks of the fact that Christ is the cornerstone. We are stones, verse 5, you are living stones built up on a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Then you come down to verse 9. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, if you have the King James, that says a peculiar people. If you want to be a peculiar, that's Okay. I like this translation better. It says, you are a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We were separated from God because of sin. Jesus Christ came, reconciled us to God, and now we have the privilege, he said, to proclaim the glory of Christ to our world. We have the privilege of being living ambassadors in a sense of of jewels that reflect to the world in which we live the glory of Jesus Christ. And let's face it, we live in a sin-darkened world. They need to see the light. They need to see the difference that Christ can make in a heart and a life today. 
we have the privilege of being able to reveal that to the world around us today. As I think about that, I think of Romans chapter 12, verse 18, when it comes to the family there. He says, as much as possible to what? Be at peace with all men. It's not always possible. Peace is not always possible. It takes two people to make peace. But for as much as lieth in you, he said, you be at peace. Make sure if there's a problem, it's not your problem. It's the other person's problem. You have the responsibility to be willing to forgive don't have the responsibility to get even. You, you don't have the responsibility or the right to demand your own way. That's going back to the fact that sin separates. We have the responsibility to seek to be at peace as much as possible with one another because it's Jesus Christ that unites us. Jesus Christ that, that brings us together. And so what are we doing today to promote peace in the body of Jesus Christ? Are, are we seeking the unity that God wants within his church, within his body? Are we seeking the peace that he desires for us? Or do we demand our way? Do we demand that our brother or sister do what we want, not not what they want, or not always a question of right or wrong? I spoke with somebody this week, and I had to tell him, you know what? It's not sin. So you got to tolerate the difference in your brother. God's working differently in their heart and life. Are, are you willing to accept that fact? Are you willing to let God be God in your life and in your brother's life as well? Are you willing to forgive? And if need be, are you willing to offer an apology because you have wounded your brother or sister in Christ? We're called together as one nation, one family, one temple. Our purpose in being here is not for ourselves. Our purpose is for us to be able to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ, to show the world in which we live the difference that Jesus Christ can make in a heart and life. We don't have to show them how to fight with one another. We, we don't have to show them how to be at odds with, with somebody else. They, they know that in the world. They need to see that Jesus Christ can change a heart. Jesus Christ can change a life. That Jesus Christ can make a difference in us and through us. And so how are we doing today in that area? Do we need, as we approach the Lord's table, do we need to take a long, hard look perhaps at our own life and ask, Lord, am I seeking the unity that I need to seek with my brother? Am I willing to forgive? Am I, am I willing to allow them to be different than me? Or is there something in me that I need to ask your forgiveness for? Are we promoting peace? Are, are we promoting that, that unity? Or have we been used of Satan to blur the picture that God wants to reveal of his glory to the world around about us? Sobering passage, sobering thoughts for us to wrestle with. And so as I think about that, I'm going to ask you to bow for just a moment of silent prayer. And I want you to search your hearts. How have you been doing in this area? been seeking peace? Have you been used as an instrument of peace? Have you been proclaiming the excellencies of Christ? Or has the world just not gotten a glimpse of Jesus Christ because there's some area in your life that you need to confess and deal with today? So let's take a moment of silent prayer as we search our hearts before the Lord.
Father, again, we want to just stop and thank you for that little word, but. We realize we were sinners, lost in our trespasses and sin, separated from God. But Jesus Christ stepped in, shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. And we want to remember that today as we celebrate the Lord's table. He did that for us so we could be reconciled to you. Give us the courage if we've failed to be reconciled to a brother or sister to do that today. Help us, Father, to recognize that you made us one family. And we don't get to choose who our family members are. We're simply brought into the family through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so help us together to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ to the world in which we live. We pray in your name. Amen. We're going to sing as our preparation hymn, It's Your Blood. Uh, Naomi or Hannah, can I get you to help me get these two things down?